Steve. This podcast is all about making the gospel relevant to your life. That means discovering the good news of Jesus, no matter what you're going through today. Just like Jesus promised, the storm has come. And we've been talking about building your house the way Jesus says to build it. And Jesus himself gives us the first building block. Jesus says, love God with your all. What does that look like and how do we do it? Jesus said the storm was coming. And he said that some would stand through the storm. But he also said that some would be blown down, some would fall during the storm. For the last several weeks, I've been talking about what it looks like to stand, what it looks like to build this house, because Jesus told us that this was coming, right? Here's what he says in Matthew 7. He says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching, he says, and doesn't obey it is foolish. Foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Jesus told us that the storm was coming. And so far, so far, I believe that the storm isn't just coming. I believe it's here now. What I've been saying the last several weeks is I believe that we're experiencing the outer bands of the hurricane that is yet to hit. Right? I mean, so far it hasn't gotten violent on us, but the winds are blowing stronger and stronger. Am I right? I mean, you can see it every day, more and more that storm is blowing. I think one of the ways you see it is we're just simply not doing our job, right? I mean, our job as Christians, our role is to redeem the world to Christ. We are Christ's ambassadors. We speak for him. We conduct the ministry of Christ here in this world. Our job is to redeem everything we touch and to turn it into something that looks like Christ. So think about our culture around us. How are we doing on that? Something has really changed. It's amazing how much it's changed. Those initial people, those Puritans that came here to North America those many, many years ago, they weren't like us. These people sacrificed everything. They left everything to come here and to begin something new. These were deep thinkers they were well read and they were very established in what they believed and their desire was to create a new community of people ultimately a new nation a new culture dedicated to a self-disciplined way of glorifying Christ have we lost that 
in the last century or so, I'm just, I'm thinking about the last century or so of, of how well we've been doing in our job to be culture leaders. Those Puritans, man, they were culture leaders. They were establishing culture. And I think about the last century and I think about how the winds have been blowing and what we've lost in the process already. I mean, I just started thinking through it and I think about how we Christians have lost the lead in science, right? Modern science was founded. It was established by Bible-believing Christians. And today, we are considered enemies of science, Academia, we've lost the battle in academia. You know, all of the universities were begun by Bible-believing Christians. Modern higher education was started by God-fearing Christians. And today, academia is the seat of atheism in our land. We've lost it. I think about the political discourse in our land. Everybody wants to know what the Democrats think or what the Republicans think but nobody ever asks pastors what they think. Nobody ever comes to Christian thought leaders and say, well, how should we view this issue at hand? I think about just in the last, you know, 50, 60 years, the sexual revolution has come and gone and the church seems to have had little or nothing to say about it. And we lost the battle for the sanctity of life. There may be some hope. There may be some hope on that one, but we've lost that fight in a big way. And our nation is the leader at killing unborn innocent children. I think about the social discourse. Everybody's interested in what the social media influencers have to say, what the TikTokers want to say. They're interested in the celebrities and the politicians who are defining the social discourse, but nobody's interested and what God has to say. And we've even lost God's own very definition of marriage in our culture, right? We've taken it and claimed it to be our own and we've redefined it now. And the battle that we're seeing today that we're losing is the battle over biological sexual assignment. It's amazing how much we've lost. How we how we doing on redeeming our culture? And these are all just big, big issues. I don't even think I'm not even thinking about you know things like how we should deal with crime or what the illegal immigration problem might mean for us or whether or not to defund police or critical race theory in our classrooms or the wars and rumors of wars that we see in the headlines. And we don't even have a voice anymore. We've become the enemy of our culture. Are, are you hearing me on this? We're the enemy of our own culture. The storm is here. What comes next? I'll tell you what comes next, or one of the things that comes next. In Canada, they just passed and implemented a law that has gone into effect in the last week or so. Uh, it's a law that is against anti, sorry, that it's against reparative therapy. 
Now, you may or may not know what reparative therapy is. It's a thing that doesn't work. It's, it's kind of not a good thing. It's a bad thing. It's a thing that was popul popular like 30 and 20 years ago, but everybody quit doing it when we realized it didn't work at all. It was some circles of people, some Christians and some secular psychologists that felt like if there was anybody that was struggling with um, same-sex attraction, that you could program the gay away, right? That you could scare the gay out of you and scare you to, you know, more of a normal worldview. And reparative therapy meant we could kind of fix it for you. And everybody quit doing it about 20 years ago. I mean, it was kind of over a long time ago because it was a bad approach and it didn't work. It wasn't the right thing to do. And so almost nobody ever even has practiced it in a long, long time. But Canada just passed a law uh, to be an anti-reparative therapy law. And while you and I might go, well, that doesn't sound too bad, the, the reality is that they're after something much more than just this reparative therapy because the language of the law is so insanely broad that it makes it criminal to advise anyone struggling with same-sex attraction or with a potential desire to become transgender it becomes, it's now illegal. It is now illegal, punishable by fines, punishable by jail time. It's illegal to counsel them to be heterosexual or to retain your birth biological gender assignment. It's illegal to advise them or to counsel them that. In fact, the law is so broad that it covers something like this. It's now literally illegal in Canada for a pastor to stand before an auditorium full of people and to preach a biblical sexual worldview, punishable by fines and by jail time. It's interesting to me that they haven't passed a law to go the other direction. You know, you, it's still perfectly legal. You, you, you can't... You can't advise people to, be, to, to retain your biological gender assignment it's illegal to do that, but it's perfectly legal to advise them to become transgender. So this is big deal in Canada, but I know some of us are going, that's fine, Canada, you know, they're up there, our neighbors to the north, and we have religious protections here like they don't have. Well, that's true, but currently, today, California, New York, New Jersey, and Oregon all have similar laws before their state legislatures right now. And as you can imagine, the LBGTQ community has really rallied to make this a thing here in the United States of America. Yeah, here's what I'm telling you. I'm not telling you this to scare you. I'm telling you this just to show you, and it's the first blank on the page, that the storm is here now. The storm is here now. Are we having trouble with the... Uh, thing, yeah, okay, so there it is, thanks, Jeff, he's saying there's trouble with the stuff back there, so yeah, the storm is here now, I'm not trying to make you scared, and I'm not trying to make you mad, I'm not, to, I'm not trying to rally you to vote for your preferred political party, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, wake up, 
wake up. The storm is here, and we've been living in denial about it. I'm just trying to say, build your house. Jesus told us the storm was coming, and he never said the answer was to fight or to be mad or to vote. He said the answer is to build your house. So for three weeks now, for three weeks, I've been talking about what that house should look like, what that means to build your house. I've been talking about the what it is for three weeks, and today, today I'm shifting gears, and I want to talk about how we build our house. So if you missed the first few weeks, Wes, if you missed the first few weeks of this, as you move right over to the front row like you should, <laughs> I'm telling you, you should go back and catch up on that because that's where we kind of laid out the blueprint. Here's what it should look like. Here's what we're aiming for. Here's where it's going. That's the first three weeks of this message series. But today I want to talk a little bit more about how. How do we actually begin to build our house? And you know, I could sit here and I could make a list of the things that I think you ought to do. And there's a lot of things I think you ought to do. There's a lot of things I should be doing, a lot of things I'm not doing in my life, a lot of things I am doing, a lot of practices I try to put in place, a lot of things on my list. But I thought it'd be better if I just let Jesus make our list for us. So Jesus was asked one day to summarize all the teachings of the law. Can you just, you know, put it all concisely into one statement for us, Jesus? In fact, Jesus, if you would, just give us what you think is the greatest command, the all-encompassing command, the umbrella of the whole thing. What's the one thing we need to get? What's our first thing when it comes to building our house? And Jesus answers this way in Matthew 22. He says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Men, women, if we are going to build our house, the first building block, the first thing, step one in building, next blank on your page, is love God with your all. Love God with your all. You're like, okay, no pressure. I got that. Really love God with all? I mean, seriously, I can't think of a more broader, more all-encompassing command. And I can't think of a bigger change to your life. This is huge, right? If you love God with your all, it'll turn everything about you literally upside down and inside out. It'll change everything about you. It's a complete species change. You go from death to life. I mean, it changes everything about you. You will become completely new. Your values change. Your attitude changes. Your language changes. Your outlook on life changes. Everything about you changes when you love God with your all. But that's hard for us. It's hard for us to really grasp and understand and live this way. It's really hard for us. 
I wish, I wish it was something that I could do for you. I wish there was a button I could push. I wish I could come to your heart and just push the love God with all button in your heart. Uh, our Sunday mornings are not what you think they are. You know, we can't sing it into you. Sorry. And I can't preach it into you. I really wish I could. If I could, believe me, I would because I want this for you. I want you to build this house and stand as the storm is blowing more and more harshly all around us. But I can't do it for you. And the reality is this isn't even something you can do to yourself. You can't just work up love. Okay, I'm just gonna love really hard. Right? It just doesn't work that way. In fact, the scripture is pretty clear. It says this in 1 Corinthians 2. It says people who aren't spiritual, who are spiritually dead, can't receive these truths from God's spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it. Well, that's a, that's a great description of the world right now, isn't it? They look at us, and this is what they think of us. Foolish. Why are you such a stick in the mud? Why do you hate everybody? Why don't you want people to just be happy? Why don't you want people to just do what they want? You actually believe in a set of absolute truths? Foolish. You actually believe that, that you should lay your life down in order to gain some semblance of what life is all about? That's foolish. It makes no sense at all. It doesn't come naturally. That's what this is saying. It doesn't come naturally, and the things of God sound foolish. They can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can even understand what the Spirit means. You see, something has to be to you in order for you to be able to love God with your all. Because you and I are born people who aren't spiritual. The Bible says that we are spiritually Dead. We're born spiritually dead, physically alive, spiritually dead. We don't have a relationship with God. We don't have even an understanding of who he is or what he's all about. We can't make a good spiritual decision, and we don't love God. That's what it means to be spiritually dead. You don't love God. In fact, it kind of means the opposite. Those that are spiritually dead, in Romans, it says that God is angry against those people. That's me and you. He's angry at people who are born spiritually dead because we, though scripture says in Ephesians, by our very existence, make God angry. Because being spiritually dead, it means we live lives opposite the way God designed. He designed you 
to walk with him, to talk with him, to think like him, to be like him, to be above everything here, for him to delegate his power and authority into your life so that he can be seen by everyone around you. He designed you to be a beautiful little image of himself. But you were born a criminal against him because our sin has corrupted everything. It's broken everything, and we are criminals, criminals against God. We're treasonous criminals. That's why the Bible says that the wages of my sin and your sin is what? Come on, the wages of sin is death. We've brought death upon ourselves. God's angry, justifiably angry at our sinfulness. So punishment is coming. Yet, God was able to see past our sin. And he sent Jesus Christ, his son, into this world who had no sin of his own to come and tell us about the Father, to come and show us the Father, to be that image of God right here in this world so that we could all see what he's really all about. That's how he lived his life. And so they killed him for it, right? He goes to the cross, and they drive those nails in his wrists and in his feet, and he hangs there, and the Scripture is really clear that on the cross, he was beaten, he was whipped for our sins. He was nailed there and bled out for us. He took the punishment for our sins. He died in my place and in your place. So he takes the punishment on himself and he dies for you. The wages of sin is death, but Jesus has paid the price. Jesus died in your place and the free gift of God is now eternal life in Christ. That means he rose again three days later and he is here today with his arms outstretched to forgive all the stuff you've ever done in the past and to say, come on home, come on home. Let me fill you with new, abundant, powerful life that you can walk in joy and in peace. You're not gonna find joy and peace anywhere else in anything this culture has for you. Why do you keep going back and feeding at the trough of Fox News to try to get joy and peace? You know it just makes you angry. Why do you keep going back and feeding at the trough of the sports? or your hobbies, or whatever it is you and I feed off of, when the only thing that's gonna bring you joy and peace is a relationship with him and the abundant life that he provides. Come on, that's it. That's what we are all about. And until you get that, until you receive his gift of grace, forgiveness for your sin, and begin to walk in that new life, until that moment, you can't even begin to understand the things of God. I can't preach it into you. Holy Spirit has to draw you to himself, and you give yourself to him. You surrender to him and he says, step one is love God with your all. Love God with your all. This is a huge, a broad, all-encompassing statement. How broad? How easy? Whew. Love God with my all? Jesus illustrates how broad it is and how heavy this is. When he says this in Luke 14, Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else 
I mean, you've got to love me so much. Your passion for me, your desire for me has got to be so strong, so great, so powerful in your life that by comparison, it's got to almost seem like you hate your mom and your dad. Your mom and your dad. Or your wife and your children. Or your brothers and your sisters. Yes, by comparison, you got to even hate your own life. You've got to lay down your life to follow him. Otherwise, Jesus says you can't even be my disciple. You can't even be my disciple. This is broad, it's huge. What this means is that anybody should be able to look at your life and say, there's something wrong with that guy. There's something different about that lady. There's something going on. There's something uniquely powerful about them. There's something that's not like anything else in their life. That's how big, that's how broad this command of Jesus is to build your house. Is that us? Are we surrendered to him? I was talking to some good friends of mine this week, good church friends of mine this week, here in the building. Some people I love, I look up to, I respect. And we were talking about this just a little bit. I was talking about being surrendered to him. And one of the things I asked this small group of guys is, hey, have you even been baptized? Because you know, you say you're a follower of Christ. Everybody around the room says they're a follower of Christ, but the very first step of following him is to be baptized. Jesus links repentance with baptism. They go hand in hand. He says, repent and be baptized. They go together. It's kind of a package deal. So step one is to turn from your old life, and the first step of following him is to take that step of obedience. Yes, I'll get baptized. And I looked around the room, most of the guys were like, well, sure, I've been baptized. I'm a disciple of Christ. I can do that. But a couple of them said, you know, no, no, I hadn't done that. I, I need to get baptized. I know I need to get baptized. I just haven't done it yet. Is that you? I was looking at some numbers this week, and I was looking at the difference in our, our own church between people who have turned their lives over to Christ and people who have been baptized and there's a gap. There's a lot of people that say, I'm a disciple, I've turned my life over to Christ, (laughs) but I'm not gonna take that first step of actually, you know, following him. What even is that? I mean, I I feel like you're saying, you know, I, I wanna love God with my all, but I won't get wet. You know, if you're that kind of Christian, I, I got to feel like you're like the, the most legendary meatloaf fan ever. I'll do anything for love, but I won't do that. Right? You get that meatloaf joke during the right after meatloaf passed away this week? Now, look, I love you. I love you, and I want you to follow him, to love him. Step one is to love him. Step one in doing that is to obey him. 
be baptized. If you haven't been baptized, I, I want to give you the chance for that. We've decided to set up a baptism three weeks from today. Three weeks from today. And I want you to be able, if maybe, you, maybe you came to Christ years ago, but you've still never taken that first step of obedience. I just want to invite you today, grab your response card and just write on the card, I, I, want, to, I want to be baptized. There's a box you can just check. You don't even have to write it, just check. And we'll get you baptized three weeks from today. I really hope you will do that because I want you to build your house. It's not my idea for you to get baptized. It's his. Let's build the house. Okay, that was a little ramble. So let's go back to Jesus' command. He says, you must love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, this is the first and greatest commandment. So, boy, I've got one sermon and about half of it left, less than half of it left. How, am, how can I describe doing this? I don't think I can in just a few minutes. So let's kind of bring it down and let's focus in on one component, this part. Let's just reduce it down to just this part. You must love your God with all your mind. Can we just focus on that? What does that even look like? Think about it. What does that look like? And I want to say that's what it means. Think it through. Think it through. What it means to love God is to use your brain and think it through. The scripture is clear that no builder would begin the building project without first doing what? Counting the cost, thinking it through. What's this gonna take? What supplies do I need? How do I need to structure myself? What are the steps I should take? No one would start building without first thinking it through. Love God with your mind. Are you using your mind or are you hoping I'm just gonna preach it into you? Are you just hoping to kind of come and, and, and do, invest as little as possible and walk away and not have to think about it again until next Sunday? That's not what Jesus wants for you at all. He wants for you to love the Lord your God with all of your mind. He wants you to be dwelling on him, thinking about him, letting him be the direction of your thoughts so that he is the one that forms the way that you think. Right, Romans 12, one of my favorite verses, you hear this all the time, Romans 12 too, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world that hates you. But let God transform you. Let him change you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Time and time again in Scripture, we see commands like this one, that it's all about thinking, that thinking may be the very essence of discipleship itself. Next, Mike, on your page, your mind is the critical component of building your house. Your mind is the critical component, you know, that thing that you neglect so often, that thing that you just want to turn off at the end of a long day that thing that you just don't want to engage with. 
I believe that your mind is the critical component of building your house. Peter demanded his people be ready on this. Here's what he says in 1 Peter 3. He says, even if you suffer for doing what's right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry and don't be afraid of their threats. Instead, he says, you must worship Christ as the Lord of your life. And look at this. If someone asks you about your hope as a believer, look at this, always, always be ready to explain it. I mean, I don't know how to say it any clearer. You need to have it all thought through. You need to be able to explain to a sophisticated, well-cultured, and well-thought-through individual, why do you look so foolish? Why do you do the crazy things that you do? Why do you believe what you believe? And Peter doesn't suggest we be ready. He commands it. He says, always be ready to explain it. Right? He also says in 1 Peter, he says, prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. I like this because you got to be prepared for action. You got to be ready. You got to have your mind set and ready to go and you have to exercise self-control. That means that you don't just flip a switch in your brain. You've got to discipline yourself for that. You've got to prepare for that. You've got to engage your mind and set your thoughts in order. Get your mental house together is what he's saying. Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, think over what I say. Think over what I say. Paul didn't actually verbally say what he's telling him to think over. He actually wrote it in his letter to Timothy. In other words, think over what I wrote. Think over the Bible. (laughs) For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Think it through. Think it through. Because I believe, according to the Bible, your brain and thinking it through is the very essence of what discipleship really is. In other words, stop being intellectually lazy. I'm begging you to stop being intellectually lazy. I know, I know there's terminology that we'll use from time to time that sounds scary. Susan Farnham and I were talking about her systematic theology class you know, every so often she'll, that class recurs, and I invite you, I invite you, hey, you should join Susan's systematic theology. It'll help you think deeply about your faith. Instead of just having a string of dots that you hope to connect, well, I believe, you know, this, and I believe that, and I believe the other thing. Instead of that, the systematic theology course gives you a grid on which to build a house. And so I invite you, whenever she's doing that, I'm like, hey, come to her systematic, sign up today for her systematic theology class. And we get like three. And I'll talk to people, why don't you go to the systematic, because you'll ask me questions about stuff. And I'm like, oh, Susan deals with that in the systematic theology class. Why aren't you doing that? And I hear things like, oh, well, that's all over my head. I mean, I'm just, you know, I need to be on like a fifth grade level I'm just challenging you to stop being intellectually lazy. I don't know how much of a disciple you can be if you're going to be intellectually lazy. Think it through. 
A disciple is a deep thinker. Love God with your mind. Build your house. This all means the next blank on your page that love always involves sacrifice. Can I get an amen, husbands? Okay, let's, let's just hold on. Can I get an amen, wives? Amen. Uh-huh, I felt like that'd be a little more enthusiastic. Love involves sacrifice. If you're gonna love something, if you're gonna, if you're gonna chase after one thing, that means you gotta leave something else behind. If you're gonna hold on to something, it means you gotta let go of something else. Love always involves sacrifice. And I know, I know, this is not popular. <laughs> I know I'm calling you and challenging you to discomfort, to self-discipline. I know this is raising the bar in 21st century American evangelicalism. I know it's raising the bar. I know nobody likes this. It's unlike the modern church uh, to actually, you know, go deeper than ankle deep. But this pastor is tired of blah, 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 talking to a bunch of sand builders. My heart for you is to be a, a firm foundation builder, to build your house, to stop lazing around because the storm is here. I want you to be a rock builder. I want you to stand through the storm. So um, good news, the good news is I'm not gonna just challenge you to go and do something and then swat you on the butt and say, good luck as you walk out the door. That's not the way we do it here. So we already have a ton of resources for you, a ton of things that we have worked hard to put into place so that you've got a ladder to climb, you know, so that you can work this. We wanna get around you and help you. So I just wanna show you a few of those things that we got for you. Obviously our Sunday morning worship, it's not what you think it is. We're not here to sing it into you or to preach it into you. Our Sunday morning worship is designed around the idea of how can we help people love God more? So it is, it will hopefully, hopefully this preacher will engage you on a little bit deeper level on Sundays. Second thing that I wanna show you is our new life class. Our new life class is all about how do I really walk in this life? Dude, if you need to get baptized, first step of getting baptized is going to our new life class. It's a one day short little, uh, I think it's an hour and a half long class. And uh, it talks about what it means to be baptized, to surrender your life to Christ and how to walk that out. And you can sign up for that class right now if you want to. I think there's a thing on the, yeah, there's a thing on the back of the handout that you got uh, that tells you when it is. It's January 30th, right after church on Sunday morning. We'll even give you lunch if that'll help you. Uh, come to the New Life class. You can sign up. There's the website right there. or You can go to our upcoming events page, and you can sign right up right now. I'll even give you the videos ahead of time that you can look at all of them if you want to. So that's a big deal, the New Life class. The next thing is the Know God crash course. We were supposed to start that last Sunday, um, but, you know, we had the snow day. So we put that off, and it starts tonight, tonight, right here at 6 
o'clock in this room. It's free. It's a four-week-long little course of how you can just accelerate your ability to build on that solid rock. It's about knowing who he is, how he talks, what he does, and how you can have access to everything about him. It's about knowing God. Would you be willing to RSVP for that? I mean, just come. You don't have to come to all four of them. Come tonight. But RSVP because we got to set chairs up and have childcare and food for everybody. So we want to make sure we got it covered. RSVP, you can do that on our upcoming uh, events page on our website. It's really easy. Or you can... <laughs> Well, you, you could use the QR code, but mine has a hole punched in it. Does yours have a hole? So you might have to go to the upcoming events page on our um, website to RSVP. Listen, it's just a great, it's a great, no cost to you money-wise, but just a little investment you can make that might just pay off big time in your life. I want you to be at the No God Crash Course. We got a ton of people. I think we got like 45 or 50 people signed up for that right now. So I hope you'll join us for that. The next thing is the biblical, build a biblical worldview course. That's not something that's gonna be happening right now, but I wanna tell you about it. I think there's no greater foundation uh, to get your bearings on how you operate the Christian life than to build a biblical worldview. Everybody's got a worldview. You have a worldview, but most of us don't think it through. Most of us don't really know how our view of the world is informed. And so because we don't have a good, solid worldview, we tend to make bad choices. We tend to do things wrong. And so the biblical worldview course is something we're going to do this later this year. Uh, and Susan Farnham and I are working on that now, and I think it's going to be really awesome. I'll talk more about it later. Another thing I want to give you is my Think Like Jesus series. It's a series I did in March of last year, extremely popular, a ton of feedback. It was all about how to have the mind of Christ. And I went back and kind of reviewed the notes on that. Man, it was just really good and I think very helpful. And so we've given you a link to the playlist of all that. You can watch it, you can listen to it. Uh, I just hope it's helpful to you to learn the mind of Christ trying to give you as many resources as possible. The last one I want to give you is to partner with us. On the 13th of February, we're going to have our big partner day, and I want you to partner with us because partnership at this church is not like membership at other churches. When you become a member, you know, you've, you've kind of, my letter is at this church, right? So I have a letter. Mine was usually a D, minus Anybody, anybody identify with me? Hey, a D is passing, right? A D is passing. C's get degrees. That's what we say. C's get degrees. So my letter is at this church. That means I occupy a seat. That's kind of what membership is. Partnership is different. Partnership is us gathering together to make this investment in building our house. Partnership is a one-year commitment to building the house. And so that partnership is all about doing this thing, this spiritual discipline together that we all do. You can find out about it on our partner page. Uh, it's right uh, nowhere. You can go to the Stand Up Sunday. There's a QR code there. And there it tells you all about partnership at the Orchard Church. 
So partnership is itself a mechanism to help you grow and build your house so that you won't fall when the storm comes. We're, it's really all gonna kind of come to the head on February the 13th for Stand Up Sunday. That's when we normally celebrate our you know, birthday as a church. We have a big party. That day is gonna be a big party day right here. That's the day we're gonna do baptisms. Don't we love baptisms here? Yeah, we do. We're going to have one church service. All of us are going to try our best to cram in here together. Don't tell the fire marshal. We're going to cram in here together. We're going to celebrate with baptisms, uh, and we're going to partner together, and it's just going to be an amazing celebration day on February the 13th at 11 o'clock only. I hope you'll be here for that whole thing. I just, I just want to see you grow. I want to see you build your house. Do you understand that? Am I, am I getting my thought across to you? I just want to do whatever I can to give you as many resources as possible to help you be strong because your kids need you strong and your spouse needs you strong and I want you to stand through the storm. I can't get over, I can't get over how Peter, I believe, loved God with all of his mind. If you know Peter's story at all, um, you know, Peter was a, what was his job? Remember his job? What was his job? Yeah, he was a fisherman. He was a redneck, plain old fisherman on the Sea of Galilee. No formal education, really, no training. Kind of just a guy trying to stay alive by fishing. Had a, probably a fairly lucrative fishing business. And that's what he did until Jesus came into his life. And Jesus said, I'm going to turn you into a fisher of men. So Peter left his nets and he followed Jesus. He walked away. He let go of his livelihood and he followed Jesus. Sure, he stumbled. He actually goes back at one point. But Jesus changed his life. And then after Jesus ascends to heaven, Peter all of a sudden becomes filled with the Spirit like the other disciples did and begins to preach. One day, Peter and John are walking through town and they're preaching like they always did. This always ticked off the religious leaders. They hated that. But this one day, they had been preaching and this one guy who was always in the same place in town, he was crippled and not ever been able to walk and he asks him for money. You know the story? Peter's like, well, I ain't got any money, but I'll tell you what I got. I got the Holy Spirit, and I got Jesus, so what I have I'll give to you. Get up and walk in the name of Jesus. And the dude honking got up and walked. This freaked everybody out. I mean, crowds of people came in, and they were going nuts because they'd always seen this crippled guy. He was never able to move, and now he's up walking. And so they're like, what's going on? And, and Peter... Peter became a good preacher real fast. He did not turn down an opportunity. Whenever he saw a crowd, he said, I'm going to preach. So he begins to preach the gospel, and this does nothing but anger the religious people more. So they arrest Peter and John. They put him in jail overnight. The next morning, they bring, him, bring them before the council, and they're like, why do you keep doing this? This is nothing but foolishness. Why do you keep talking this way? And Peter preached again. He preached to the council and ticked him off. And they didn't know how to respond. And in Acts 4.13, it says this, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were 
ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. And they also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. Here's why I love this story. Because Peter goes on with his ministry after this, and you know he became the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, and he uh, you know, did all the stuff that he did. And, and later on, Peter begins to write letters to the church, this dispersed church under a lot of persecution. And so his congregation is kind of scattered a lot, and so he starts writing letters to them. He writes First Peter. I read First Peter this morning again. Scholars today love 1 Peter, except for if you're a liberal scholar. If you're a liberal scholar, you hate 1 Peter because you can't believe that a redneck fisherman could possibly write a, a, a letter like this because 1 Peter is written in this beautiful structure with this deep level of organization and this working through of logical thought. It's crazy how sophisticated and modern and western this letter is liberal scholars today say redneck fishermen could never write a letter like that but I'll tell you what I believe I believe Peter actually took his own advice because you see there's about 30 years between Acts 4 and 1 Peter and I believe that that Acts 4 redneck fisherman no formal training spent that time, those 30 years, investing himself, cultivating himself intellectually, learning all he could, reading all he could, debating all he could so that he could think it through. So then now, 30 years later, by the time his church who is scattered needs to hear from him, many of whom are Greek, sophisticated, intellectual Christians, he writes this deep intellectual letter to them, he was up to the task. He stood when his storm came. And it's in that letter in 1 Peter 5, Peter writes to us, he says this, he says, so stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So you stand firm against him be strong in your faith remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering that you are in his kindness God calls you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus so after you have suffered a little while he will restore and support and strengthen you and he will place you on a firm foundation. So, all power to him forever. And everybody said, amen. amen, amen. So I think we should take Peter's challenge. It's the last blank on your page. Prepare your mind for action. Love God with your mind. Invest into knowing him, growing in him, into thinking it through that you can build that house that will stand through the storm. Mm -hmm.